You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to this fun Friday here at the Conservative Conscience. This is Daniel Horowitz back here to wrap up the week. And it's been a pretty good week, I think. As good as it can be in this republic. You hear me a little giddy this week. Um, just because, you know, I think we are making progress on a lot of things. We're recording a little bit early today on July 19th uh, because we got our DC crew coming up here to set up the video. Uh, whether it's in two weeks, three weeks, I'm not sure when we're gonna, going to launch, but I do need a studio ready for it. So uh, this is going to happen. Now, nothing is going to change. Same content, same passion. Same information that you want to hear. It's just that, look, if a tree falls in the forest, who knows? Our voice has to get out there. And uh, the American point of view, the traditional conservative point of view on the issues that actually matter. Yes, the issues that matter. Some of you might have heard me on Mark Levin last night. And we spoke about that a little bit. I said some of our colleagues getting off message. And they wonder why we squandered the first two years with trifecta control. Well, it was leverage points like these, like this, with the budget bill coming up where our colleagues were missing in action. And they focus all on the sensational stuff. We focus on what actually matters here. So if you haven't heard that last night, um, it was right before the halfway point in the show. So you divided the show by half. If you look in the podcast, it was right before the, um, in other words, we ended off the first half of the show. That that segment was was short and quick, but we uh, gotten some good stuff there. Thank you, Mark, for having me back. So this is Free For All Friday. We're going to cover a lot of things. It's also going to be Farm Policy Friday. We're going to have Colonel Dan on in a moment to give us a briefing on the Barbary Pirates of the Persian Gulf and why we should care. Um, just broadly, what Iran's doing. If we have time, we could talk a little bit about Mexico and the border with him as well. You know, as you well know, there was another border incursion by Mexican military that was likely really cartels dressed up as Mex- Mexican military, according to Brandon Judd, the head of the Border Patrol Union. So again, we have an invasion at our border, and we do nothing about it. But just real briefly, last night. The big news is, oh, the president is now backing down. These were just chants in the audience. I didn't approve of them. So now the media comes up with clips of, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, what's that dude's name? John McCain, where someone shouted Arab, and he, you know, on the spot, went ahead and rebuked the guy. <clears throat> this is what happens when you run when you talk about what the media wants to talk about. What the president needs to do is relentlessly stay on message and get the media to talk about what you want to talk about. Again, the president is the only one with that ability to do that. 
stay on message, get them to focus on what you want to talk about. Don't focus on what they want to talk about. And this is what you're seeing. Over the weekend, the Senate Republicans are now a bunch of schleppers. They're a bunch of servile puppy dogs for the, for the Democrats. They're touring the border along with Democrats. What are they touring? Are they touring to see the cartels? To see the tens of thousands of previously deported criminal aliens, sex offenders, murderers come back in? We still haven't passed Kate's law to create mandatory minimums, 10 years in prison for previously deported, especially with prior aggravated uh, felonies? No. To see what Border Patrol agents are like to live a day in the, in, in the life of a Border Patrol agent? No. It's all for the illegals. So we've gone backwards. We thought that the worse this would get, the more we would finally focus on it. No, they're focusing on it now from the vantage point of illegal aliens. And this is exactly why Trump needs to have an American August. Uh, we're going to have out later today. Uh, it's, I, I, I got to finish just editing it. My blueprint of an American August. President Trump demanding that rather than them taking stupid trips and selfies to the border or to Hong Kong or wherever on taxpayer dime over the, over the August recess, cancel the August recess. And I have a list of about 15, 80-20 issues focusing on the American people to make, to make America sovereign again, make America safe again, and make America for American citizens and legal immigrants who are properly vetted that will contribute to this country. You know, the GOP platform, the GOP platform that was adopted in Cleveland in July, July 19th of uh, 2016, said the following. America's immigration policy must serve the national interest of the United States, and the interests of the American workers must be protected over the claims of foreign nationals seeking the same jobs. With all our fellow citizens, we have watched in anger and disgust the mocking of our immigration laws by a president who made himself superior to the will of the nation. We stand with the victims of his policies, especially the families of murdered innocents, Illegal immigration endangers everyone, exploits the taxpayers, and insults all who aspire, aspire to enter America legally. We oppose any form of amnesty for those who, by breaking the law, have disadvantaged those who have obeyed it. The executive amnesties of 2012 and 2014 are a direct violation of federal law and usurp the powers of Congress as outlined in Article 1 of the Constitution. These unlawful amnesties must be immediately rescinded by a Republican president. In a time of terrorism, drug cartels, human trafficking, and criminal gangs, the presence of millions of un unidentified individuals in this country poses grave risks to the safety and sovereignty of the United States. Our highest priority, therefore, must be to secure our borders and all ports of entry and to enforce our immigration laws. Well, well, well. <laughs> All we're asking is that they stand by that platform. It's that simple. This is the time for the president to say it's time to enforce and reinforce 
current law and prior promises that are often embedded and codified in, in law to the American people. That is it. That is all we must do. Another thing I want to outline for you, again, this is free for all Friday. I'm just going one by one. Uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali, the conservative activist who is of Somali descent, she was actually born in Somalia. She wrote a terrific op-ed I want you to read in the Wall Street Journal. Because again, I'm not into this whole thing of send her back, Ilan Omar, just as an ends to itself in terms of a soap opera. We are all about the discernible policy outcomes that actually affect our republic. And the broader issue we need to focus on is why are we bringing in hundreds of thousands of people that hate America, that are unassimilable into our culture, and that at the very time people are saying, oh, hate has no place here. We love people. Well, you're bringing in the haters. So she has a beautiful op-ed. Can Ilan Omar overcome her prejudice? I was born in Somalia and grew up amid pervasive Muslim anti-Semitism. Hate is hard to unlearn without coming to terms with how you learned it. Give her a lot of credit for writing this. And we are going to link to this in show notes because it absolutely is needed. So that's with that. Another thing, political article we're going to link to, Trump officials trying to set the refugee cap at zero. Where do you hear about that? Well, you heard about it on the show last week. We wrote an article suggesting just that. And it is getting to the president. Look, I'll be very honest with you. It feels good to actually have some purpose rather than bang my head against the wall all day. But with that said, look, it's kind of like starting a fire. A couple of weeks ago, I took a vacation with the kids, my wife and the kids. And one of the things they like doing is, is building fires. You know, um, just building a wood fire from scratch. And I always tell them, don't shortcut it. Stop with this, you know, just throwing in a bunch of cardboard and um, paper and trying to just constantly revolve around the fire with the lighter and light it. You got to do it properly. You got to have the sequence of the wood chip shavings and then the tiny twigs and then build the bigger stuff around it. There's no shortcuts. So this is the thing. I mean, all I could do is be that lighter to try to light the fire. But what ultimately winds up happening with this stuff is it never happens. I mean, they contemplate it, they debate it. But then we don't have the twigs and then the bigger sticks. We don't have the movement, um, the Tucker Carlson's, the Laura Ingram's, the Sean Hannity's to then really serve as a megaphone for this stuff and to really call the shots. So, I mean, that's the best I can do. It's something. But there's no shortcut to not having a movement. So that's, that's where we are with that. But I, I, I did want to update you because I do want to let you know that the more you guys listen, the more you guys send this around, and the bigger the show gets, the more of an impact we're going to have. So that's where we are with this. Very important. Very important messaging. And, and, and just, again, I'm all over the place here. This is a free-for-all Friday. Going back to the Ian Hersey business, I just want you guys to know... Um, 
There's a story about 65-year-old Jewish woman, Sarah Halimi, who was savagely murdered by Kobili Tarori, this Tunisian immigrant um, in France. Last year, he beat her for an hour, then threw her three floors from her balcony. He might have burned her, too, shouting Allah Akbar. A French judge has ruled that he wasn't responsible because he was smoking weed. I promise you, folks, I promise you this. He was smoking weed. Um, wait till this comes to America now that we've made weed a religion here. Um, wait till they have it both ways. No, no. Marijuana is awesome. It does nothing wrong with it. It's awesome. We love it. Oh, but actually, no, it makes people like this so they're not culpable for what they do. The pre- this is from the Times of Israel. The preliminary ruling in the trial of Kobili Taruri for the 2017 murder of Sarah Halimi um, came Friday from a judge of inquiry, a magistrate that in the French judicial system is tasked with deciding whether indicted defendants should in fact stand trial. So, um, yeah, there, there we are. There we are. You gotta love France. But you know what? We are rapidly becoming France if we don't fight to the death right here, right now on this issue. Might already be too late, but you know, we, we got to try. By the way, just so you know, this woman freaking survived the Holocaust. Or, well, I, I think she was a little younger. I mean, she was, um, she wasn't in the camps, but she was in Vichy, France, you know, at the time of the war. And basically, she, uh, I mean, imagine that you survive the the Nazis, and everyone wants to talk about Nazis and concentration camps, except we bring people into Western culture that has successfully eradicated this mindset, and then they rejuvenate it. And that's what, what Hersey is talking about. That's what they're bringing in. But this Holocaust survivor was in France, and she she was stabbed 11 times and set on fire by her Muslim immigrant neighborhood neighbor living in the budding French caliphate. The left's compassion is really quite cruel, and we need to recognize that. So anyway, her story was that um, her, her body was discovered in Paris um, charred. This was, uh, I'm trying to remember, it was about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, like March of last year. She evaded capture by the Nazis in Paris in 1942. But let me tell you, she couldn't evade the suicidal policies on Islamic immigration. So all these people talking about, oh, Trump being a Nazi with, with, um, what's her name, Ilan Omar, the reality is... (laughs) Look at Europe, what they brought in and what Jews are are dealing with. You want to talk about Nazis? Now, picture in your mind what's going to happen here if we bring in, and we've already brought in about 130,000 more, you know, Somalis in mass. Just listen to Hersey's warning. She grew up there, and she's going to tell you 
It's a stupid idea to bring in mass numbers of people. And, and by the way, there's often this argument promulgated that huh, if your policies would have been implemented, you would have never been allowed to come here. It's a stupid argument because public policy is not about emotions of one person. It's about what's good for the country. So, you know, you could have an individual who's converted to Christianity. She's awesome. She contributes. She's not like that, you know, like any of that. And she says, look, you know, it's a stupid idea to bring in mass numbers of Somalis. It's stupid to say, well, if we would have had that in place, you couldn't have come. Well, you know what? I think she would have told you, look, from a from a national standpoint, if one Hersey is left out, but thousands of, of terrible people that hate Jews are left out too, so be it. But I'm here and I'm going to advocate the right things. You know, it, 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 it's a stupid argument. But anyway, the granddaughter of this victim moved to Israel a while ago. And at the time, this was last year, she said on Facebook, 20 years ago, I left Paris knowing that my future was not there, neither mine nor that of the Jewish people. But who would have thought that I was leaving my relatives where terrorism and cruelty would lead to such a tragedy? My grandmother was stabbed to death 11 times by a Muslim neighbor she knew well, who made sure to set fire to her home and left us not even one object, a letter, a photograph to remember her by. All we have are our tears in each other. You could take your Nazi baiting and your open borders, phony compassion and shove it right up your rear end. Being cruel to those who are deserving mercy and being merciful to those who are cruel is the hallmark of liberalism. I just had to get that out of my system because this just really pisses me off. Because this is not just some historical reference. This is what is happening right now across the pond as a result of these very same policies that we are now on the trajectory to catch up with them in one generation. It's that simple. So anyway, before we get to Colonel Steiner, I just want to frame the issue of Iran and its importance. And it ties into this budget battle. For years, we've been spending money up the wazoo. And the excuse from Republicans is, well, we got to agree with the Democrats growing uh, you know, government in terms of non-defense discretionary spending. Well, because we need defense spending. Now, really, it's a fake excuse because the truth is these phony Republicans actually like growing non-defense spending as an end to itself. But the point is, I've said this all along, we don't need more military spending. The more important thing is we need to use the military for its right purposes and not use it for the wrong purposes, which means we have to have a debate, go around the globe, what are the consummate threats to our nation that require the military hardware and capabilities that cost so much money to deal with. And I've always said the number one is our own border. The cartels, that's what we need the military for. And we talk a lot about that. The number two thing is Iran. Now, I think China is a looming threat. Long-term might be an even greater threat. But in the immediate sense, it's Iran. And the reason is Everything we've been doing in the Middle East until now deals with land battles, land battles dealing with nation building, tribal warfare. Often, 
especially in the case of Iraq and, and Syria, we're actually helping Iran. We cleaned out the Sunni insurgency for them. Heck, we took out Saddam Hussein. Um, in retrospect, I can't see a defensible argument that it was the right thing to do to go after Saddam, and especially if you didn't do it concurrently with taking out the Mullahs. But we're at a point in history where all we need to do to take out the Mullahs and the threat that they have to our strategic interest of our shipping lanes, that is an interest. That is something we have to protect is simply by not backing down on the sanctions and doubling down on them. Oil prices didn't skyrocket despite the left-wing arguments that it would. We have record production every single month now. But Iran is challenging us every day. They're, they're capturing more ships. They're engaging in more acts of belligerence to bring us to the table. Is the government folding? Is the Trump administration, Secretary of State Pompeo, are they folding? What's going on? I want to bring in Colonel Dan Steiner. He doesn't need much of an introduction after he's been on the show so many times. Uh, backed by popular demand, 32-year retired Air Force Colonel. Dan, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Dan. I think you know, you're hitting the ball out of the park as usual. There's there's some issues here that your audience just really needs to think about. And uh, you know, one of the things I really appreciate appreciate about your show is the approach. And I, I know there's a lot of talking heads out there. There's a lot of people that like to try and talk about Iran and everything else from a from a viewpoint of profit and likability, but um, you're, you're hitting something here today, and we can make this loop come all the way back. We can talk about Iran, but when, we, when we're done, let me show you how what we're talking about comes right back to what you're concerned about. And that's this issue of how in the world do we secure our own nation from all the do-gooders who simply think that the border is a revolving door and just come on in, shop around, and do what you need. Uh, it, you know, this nation won't survive that environment that somebody wants us to live in. So, yeah, I, it, it's interesting that we can talk about Iran and still come back to that point, and, and we'll do that. So certainly, and obviously, with the um, you know the big anniversary of the AMIA bombing in Argentina, Argentine government designating Hezbollah as a terrorist. Finally, um, that is Iran's foothold in our hemisphere. So again, they affect us a lot more than. You know, just these Sunni insurgencies and everything that we're dealing with, Somalia, Niger, Iraq, Afghanistan, we've lost four soldiers this week there. God knows doing what. But I want you to start off with just the facts. If you could kind of give us just a state of play since the last time you came on, the last week or two or three, what Iran is doing. You know, most recently they captured another ship and its crew, just like literally like pirates. Um and then Tuesday, they had a drone flying over kind of the inverse of what happened a couple of weeks ago. They shot down our drone. So this time, our government is alleging we shot down their drone. They're denying it. They're saying they're about to post video footage debunking it. Wanted to get your thoughts on the state of play. Yep. So here's what's interesting. You know, the big picture with Iran, and, and, I, and I hate to say Iran because I hate to blame the people in Iran that can't stand their government. So I typically, you know me, I typically say Tehran or the mullahs. But here's where the mullahs stand right now. Uh, they're on the uptick. You know, if we thought they were causing a lot of problems, you know, a month, a month and a half ago with the tanker incidents, they, they, they are moving the needle 
up with with their actions. And, and yes, they're desperate, and yes, they're back in the corner, and yes, the sanctions are worried, are, 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 are well, they're, they're hurting them beyond, I, I think, recognition, except maybe the, the ICCs, to the point that they're they're growing more desperate by the day. And, and we, before we get done, when you talk about a, a, a real interesting rumor that's out there about a meeting that took place with Hassan Khomeini, but things are getting worse. And they're getting worse because the, the leadership in Tehran is getting more and more desperate. And sometimes, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men give you consequences you're not ready for. The sanctions are working. We're crippling the Iranian leadership. But I, I, I'm not sure if we were ready for what that would possibly yep. lead to. And, that, and now that's what we're starting to see. And here's what's interesting. When, when Trump ran for president in 2016, he made the comment, it's time for everybody to start fighting their own fights and us to stop fighting fights for everybody else and get out of these endless wars. He, was, he absolutely nailed it. I think that's one of the key issues that people really voted for him on. Some of these things are not our business until it becomes strategic issues, and then they are our business. So you've heard this discussion last week about we're, we've been over there, Secretary of State's been over there talking about we need some folks to help us secure the straits, and we're mad at Spain for pulling their frigate out. And all these, all these rumors about how we're trying to get other people to do these things over there. And so we just don't have to do it all. Well, that's interesting because that goes right back to what you said in 2016. But it also allows something to happen. If you, if you approach business that way and an event does happen, and God forbid it's ugly, then if you have to get involved, you're on the right side of that argument. You know, how in the world does the Democratic Party and the, and the Teletubbies in this country scream at Trump if the Iranians do something completely outrageous? And they probably, you know, the, the liberals would probably do it anyway. But it, it puts him in a position. It puts us in a position of we're going to squeeze you till you break. And in the meantime, if you're doing minor things, everybody else over there needs to be taking care of that business, not just us. We're not going to get into an Iraq or an Afghanistan with you and turn it into a corporate machine of, you know, of, of a never-ending war. But the Iranians are growing more desperate. Now, now here's – again, I think I sent you this the other day, and this story didn't even make the news in the U.S., and it's really sad. It's just pathetic that in the U.S., the, the, the major networks that call themselves journalists, they, they – I don't know. I, I can't even watch them. But HMS Duncan, and I think I sent you this, if you remember this, the HMS Duncan, a British warship, was coming out of the Suez Canal and coming into the Red Sea. And there was an ambush laid for that ship last week by the Iranians. And, and once again, this is this proxy thing using some of the rebels coming out of uh, Oman, I'm sorry, coming out of uh, Yemen and whatnot. Uh, but the the fact of the matter was the decision has been made in Tehran since the Brits took the Iranian oil shipment. There was a decision made to attempt to ambush a British war vessel. And, you know, that everybody came out there and Tehran said, you know, you, you need to pay, pay attention. You need to be worried. Uh, they threatened the British, outright threatened. Them. Well, they, they tried to pull it off last week and it didn't work. So they went after the HMS Duncan with a bomb boat, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't take place. Well, nobody here covered it because everybody was screaming and howling about 
you know, little girl, crazy girls from Michigan and, and, and everything else. <laughs> but that's a significant event. I mean, the guys in Turan had to know that if that bomb boat struck HMS Duncan, much like we had happened to us with the coal, then everything would have changed. Now, that tells me they're prepared for that change. Now, the reason it didn't happen was is because we're just too good at what we do in an allied force. And that that boat was not able to get within the range it needed to try and execute against the British. Colonel, what actually happened in the end there? I didn't get it straight. Did they did they fire warning shots or they just or the Iranians just aborted the operation? Well, it's interesting that the open source coverage of it now, FinCom and everybody else knows how it really took place. But I'll tell you tactically what would typically happen. Once you detect this boat is out there, and once it's inside one of the intrinsic rings that you put out around your ships for defense, so you've got a ring where you give you know, verbal warnings over the radio. You've got a ring where you uh, give other types of warnings, flares. And then you've got a ring where you shoot, front, you know, shoot in front of the bow. That doesn't happen much anymore. But then you've got a ring that defends the boat itself. And, and you get inside that ring, and bad things are going to happen. Now, this may be what happened with us with the Iranian drone the other, the, the, two days ago. You get inside that last ring, and it's up to that skipper to defend that ship. And so I think the Brits caught this ship, this is not a ship, a bomb boat, far enough away from the HMS Duncan that other actions were taken to avoid that boat. Now, nobody wants to say what that is. Maybe they sunk it. I don't know. That could be classified on a level that, okay, you know, a couple of the Sun Times and some other people picked up on the story, but what was the end state of that bomb boat? My God, if we let that thing sail back into a port and call it a day, that was dumb. But I don't know what happened to that boat. But they went after the Duncan. They, they physically went after the Duncan. And this was only within a week of when the Brits made them stare down a barrel over their British tanker, and they had to break it off. So within a week and a half, the Brits have stared the Iranians down and then foiled one of their attacks on one of their warships. This goes back to this, this status of everybody else over there needs to do their part. You know, the thing that Trump campaigned on in 16. So it's, it's interesting that it happened from two perspectives. One, it's starting to fit a mold if there's one thing I think the president does, I think he has always admired and he's always listened to his combatant commanders, his major combatant commanders, his theater commanders. So if CISCOM has sat down with him since the day he pulled back on the attacks into Iran and said, hey, boss, let me tell you, here's a better mousetrap. Here's the way we do this. If he's starting to let that CENTCOM commander develop his plan for defending that area of operations, his AOR, then you may be seeing signs of that now between the Brits. It was actually the Saudis that spotted this bomb boat that was what was laying in wait for the HMS Duncan. So it, this all may be starting to make sense. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting here with my head on fire just thinking, you know, and I told you, I said, well, what are we doing? You know, the yep. Iran's winning this perfection war like there's no tomorrow. And that was pretty obvious a couple of weeks ago. I'm here to tell you today, Dan, I, I, I see the early signs of a much smarter engagement with what we're doing. And, and, and I hope I'm right, because God knows I don't want to see another corporate-driven, endless war. But 
it appears to me that the Iranians are now going to have to adjust to what we're doing and our allies are doing. This thing with the HMS Duncan is big. And I know it didn't make the media here because the media here is not true media. But that's a big thing. And that's why I wanted to bring that up today. So, so obviously, meeting- Colonel, the follow-up question that everyone's going to be screaming at is, so is this a sign, a turning point that we are now moving to an active rather than reactive posture. So with this background, could you now move on to the event of Tuesday? And literally, as we're recording, there's still disputes disputes over this. Um, the USS Boxer, our government, um, the president himself actually announced that the USS Boxer fired, I guess it was a sea-to-air missile, I'm assuming, to take down a drone which was probably armed by the Iranians. They're vehemently denying it because if it's true, they'd be embarrassed. Could you give us your take on that? Sure. Okay. First off, when our Navy or any of our allied naval ships are in an area of operation, if something's flying in that area, we know it. And we know what it is and we know what its capabilities are. So sitting on the bridge of that ship and determining whether that's a reconnaissance drone or a weapons platform or a reconnaissance drone that's been converted into weapons platform, the intelligence capabilities to determine that are there. That skipper was given information about what is that drone. They fly drones around us all the time. And it, and it makes me mad when I was at CINCOM to see sometimes how close they would get. But it depends on what posture you're in, too. If you're in a higher posture, then you push those rings out I was telling you about to defend your ships. And so if they're in a very defensive posture right now, especially after what happened to the HMS Duncan, which would have put everybody in the region in a higher state of readiness, then a drone that flies into that thousand meter circle of that ship that's been identified as a drone that is carrying a weapon, they either optically confirm it has a weapon on it, or they confirm that it could have a weapon, then you take it out. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, if it was a reconnaissance drone like we've seen before in the past, but in this master plan the sitcom commander has going of, okay, I'm going to send you another message. The days of you operating in an environment that you're comfortable with, that you set the terms on, are over. So now when you try and fly up and film my ships or take propaganda films, because Iran does very little of that for intelligence reasons. They don't need to know what's on the deck of our ships. They do that to show their own people and to show everybody else, you know, oh, look how good we are. And that's what they're going to release today, Dan. They're going to release a video today saying, look how mighty we are. We flew over this ship. They'll probably pull out some file footage. It won't even be the right ship. But their people don't know that. <laughs> you know, the members of the Republican Guard, all the, all the rank-and-file military members, they don't know any better. So, so you don't think so, it's our government BSing us? No, 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 no. I, I think my opinion is I think – we're showing them that we can change the rules of the game. I mean, that's exactly what I think we're doing here. It could have been a reconnaissance drone with no weapons on it. And typically, we may have not have fired on it. We had it in the past. Sure. But now we are. Now we're saying, hey, look, once we tell you leave immediately, if you don't leave, we're going to shoot you down. So here's the bigger question, Dan. How does re- Iran react to this? Like I told you yesterday, I predicted they were openly going to say they denied the whole thing, and they did. They denied the whole thing. But now they've got to make a decision. If, they're, if their job 
is to keep the needle moving up on tensions, then they've got to figure out what they do. To do that, so so Colonel, I I want to move this conversation along so we, we don't have as much time today. Got to have my uh, staff come in to rig up the studio. What I want to segue exactly the point you just made from the military strategic standpoint to the diplomacy policy Teletubby standpoint. And by the way, just so you know, I didn't steal your line. I always give you credit. And the Teletubbies made their official debut on Mark Levin show last night. So, I mean, we have memes all over the internet now on Teletubbies, and when the show goes to video, we will have real Teletubbies with skirts around them doing flips um, to commemorate our, our lovely leadership in, in, in the Western countries. But um, are the Teletubbies still winning? In other words, you know, for our listeners, I want you guys to go to um, our, our show... June 25th, okay, June 25th, this was episode 439, June 25th, less than a month ago, and you'll hear the colonel, he was very down on our government, um, very down on our uh, reactive posture to Iran. You're seeing almost a giddy uh, tone in his voice, kind of like me, I'm a little bit optimistic on a lot of things this week, relatively, Um but what you're saying seems to fly in the face of another rumor, and I want to see if you can confirm that that Pompeo was starting to become amenable to sitting down with Iran and negotiating on sanctions. Is that bogus? Okay, okay. here we go. Here's the interesting, and this is one we really need to spend a couple, two or three minutes on, Dan. Um, there's a rumor out there, and I think it's more than a rumor, that there was a meeting that took place in Iraq recently, and this meeting had Hassan Khomeini, who is, the Ayatollah Khomeini, you know, the founder of the, the Iranian revolution, it's his grandson. Now, quick little back read. He's, he's in the Alps. He, he's not on the A-team in Tehran. They don't like him. They don't trust him. Uh, they're, they're worried about him. He, he, he is on the outside looking in. Now, he's not, a, he's not a liberal. He doesn't wave the American flag, but he's a power broker. And he doesn't like the current leadership in Iran. So he's troubled. And so there's been a meeting that has taken place. I think this meeting took place. Now, the U.S. government denied it took place. And that's a brilliant thing to do because that just makes the mullahs in Iran even more nervous. And there were several representatives of the IRGC. True or false? Who cares? That's the way the story leaked out. Uh Now, if that meeting took place, and that meeting led to rumors of a coup, even a soft coup. You know, I've told you for the longest time now, the way you defuse Iran is you have a regime change that we're not responsible for. Yeah, now, in, my exactly. perfect, in my perfect world, in my perfect world, I would want to see whoever was in that meeting in Iraq, the Saudis, the Russians, whoever, in our perfect world, Someone sews that relationship together with Hassan Khomeini and a few key Republican Guard junior generals or junior colonels yep. who can turn the tide and make sure the Guard doesn't support the mullahs if something starts to happen, like in Turkey two years ago, then it works. And I think that rumor now has the mullahs more dangerous than we've ever seen them. I think they believe that rumor. I, I believe that rumor, but wow. I think that's the thing that we need to see. 
It, be, because I'm just saying if Bolton and the other guys are really serious about achieving regime change and doing so without the mistakes we've been making until now, the typical dollar investment turning into a million dollars that everyone wants, little input, little reprisal, little imprint from America on it, but you get the result that we all want, that everyone really, irrespective of your politics, should want um, because they are the top terrorist threat to the world that has the resources of a nation state. Um, this is how you would go about doing it because that's the missing piece of the pie. You got the sanctions. Well, who is going to trip that wire and affect the actual regime change? So you're saying that they're not that that it's not that they're meeting with the government to capitulate to them. It's that they might be meeting with potential um I don't want to say dissidents, but troublemakers to the regime in Iran. Yeah, and he's the perfect one. Hassan Khomeini is the favored grandson of Ayatollah Khomeini. They they don't like the guy. They're scared of the guy. They can't do anything to him because bad things will happen. A lot of the other mullahs in that country follow him. So he is a key player in any discussion that may mm. come up about ousting the mullahs who are currently in power in Tehran right now. And he may go, he may come to power with a couple of Republican guard guys, and he may badmouth the United States from day one. But if the underlying negotiations and the underlying understanding is that's all for show that everything can actually start de-escalating from there, then there's going to be a tremendous amount of effort in that to make that happen. That's sure. a classic, that's a classic Russian move. That's why I told you, <laughs> Iran, whether they like it or not, is a proxy of Moscow. And if Moscow has sat down with us quietly behind the tables and, and behind the closed doors with the Israelis and the Saudis and probably Egypt, and they've figured out a way to have an end state against the Iranian mullahs, then I think you just saw a hint of that. And I believe the mullahs believe that. And I think today, until that event potentially happens, they're more dangerous than they've ever been. Attacking ships like the HMS Duncan is, is a doable thing if you think that there is now a mechanism inside your own government that's trying to bring you down. Wow. That, that, so, number one, that's certainly a huge contrast to your update a month ago. But also, I think what's important is, so you've given us kind of the statecraft strategy for how we would seamlessly transition this. You're not going to get some like massively pro-Western guy. You get a guy who's downright the grandson of the original Islamic revolution. You get Russia involved. It's mutually um, beneficial to them, other players. Okay. So then the next question you brought up their reaction commensurate with our success is also the danger and desperation of those in power. So as you've taught us, you always have to think several steps ahead. You can't just say like, hey, they did this. I have the opportunity and ability to strike them, and I'm going to strike them. No, you have to say, I'm going to strike them. Well, they're going to react. Am I prepared for their reaction and to counter that? So what do you see them doing to up the ante, and what would you advise that the Trump administration do about that? Well, I think the shift we've seen, Dan, since what I was kind of – more than pessimistic a month ago, I, I think we've seen Team Trump go into campaign mode. 
it's close enough now that the minds and the the the, you know, the the energy inside the the administration is shifting towards the elections. You know, he's battling all these Teletubbies in the Democratic Party, and I, he, knowing a guy like Trump, when he turned off that mission because the CENTCOM commander probably said, "Sir, you got to turn this off." Their reaction is going to be disproportionate to what we're doing, and we're going to get into something we can't control. When he turned that off, he may have very well said, look, if you don't think that was the right thing to do, then you figure it out. You know, he kind of put this back out on, on the CENTCOM commander and maybe the IC because everybody has to support him. The entire United States asset capability goes to that central command commander if he's dealing with an issue like Iran right now. So – we may be seeing indications of this issue with Iran is turned back over to a team of decision makers who have other skill crafts. And this skill craft of meeting with Hassan Khomeini, you know, the, 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 the cloak and dagger side of dealing with Iran is going to drive the mullahs nuts. But I think we've seen that. I think we've seen a shift in who's actually trying to orchestrate what we're going to do with Iran in the meantime, if the mullahs do something just completely stupid and, 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 and you know, conduct an operation against one of our locations or trick the Saudis into shooting at them or something, that puts us in the clear. I mean, who's going to argue with Trump if you turn on the TV and we've got blatant Iranian actions and U.S. casualties? It, it, it's political suicide for any of the Democrats to stand up and one, blame Trump, which some of them are dumb enough they'll do anyway, or two, not stand with what we're doing. And you kind of saw that when Trump turned off the attack on, on the, the facilities in Iran a couple of weeks ago. You saw some of the more, God forbid I say it, moderate <laughs> Democrats saying, you know, I, I kind of agree with what he has to do. So this is interesting. I, I, we've, we've turned this game over to a better team. And now we're starting to see the results of it. So so you're confident that at least where we stand now, it's more the CENTCOM commanders dictating what's going on and not the Teletubbies at the State Department. And that we are we could breathe a sigh of relief that we're not headed back towards relinquishing sanctions. Yeah, there's no way we pull the sanctions out. You know, these rumors that uh, we're going to, you know, Pompey wants to sit down and talk to the Iranians. I, I think that's part of this game now. And, and, and Trump's that kind of guy. Trump can look at his secretary of state and say, look, and he can point a finger at the CENTCOM commander and say, he's got lead on this. You support whatever it is he needs to do. And then you guys keep me apprised of what we're doing because I'm going out here and going to rallies. And, and get the you know get the machine going for the for the election, but I, I think if everybody been, has been told who the new brain trust is, then everybody better get in line with that brain trust. But w- make no doubt about it, Dan. We're in dangerous waters because the mullahs are backed in a corner, and this this potential meeting with Hassan Khomeini is that ha- that drove them crazy one you notice they never mentioned it now they know where he goes they know where he travels if he was in iraq then they're so convinced that meeting really took place who knows where they're going with this now i i, I yep. don't have any idea so so where they're going with this i want to you know wrap this up quick there's there's three more things i hope to cover so europe 
that that's always where they turn. That is the cash cow for Iran. Um, they could always count on them. Where where is Europe now? And did this attempted attack on a British ship change at least the Teletubbies in London, or is there still a disconnect between? You know the the British Navy and their political leaders. You know, if you close your eyes and you get that vision of the Teletubbies, those little blue belly things <laughs> bouncing around between those little mounds of dirt, that's the EU leadership. I, I, I'm I'm serious. When I see those pictures of them together, it, it looks like it looks like a three year old should be watching that picture. Oh, it, it, it's ridiculous, but. but <laughs> In the middle of all that, the you know the, the mullahs know that that's their target right now. Their target is to scare the Teletubbies and to try and quietly help them a little bit of economic relief. Hey, there's a couple people you've got to pay in Iran. You've got to pay the IRGC. You've got to pay the Al Quds forces. If you pay those people, you're good to go. The people can lie in the streets and die and starve to death because they can't do anything about it. So they need just enough money that they can keep things going. And if they can scare Europe into thinking that another war is coming, unless Europe does something to get that crazy Trump in line and the Europeans try and backdoor, you know, last week when the Europeans came out and said that the changes to the Iranian nuclear uh, enrichment program are insignificant, you know, go talk to a scientist. What an asinine statement that is. What happened is, that, that fuel up to any level you want. Once you start that process, going 5% to 20% is nothing. The fact of the matter is you started the factory back up in a mode that it takes to make nuclear. So it, that's the Teletubbies. They said it was insignificant because they just want to go away. They want to bounce around Teletubby land and just live in some alternate atmosphere. Sure, but I mean, they're going to become more irrelevant if you're telling me that you see signs that Moscow is closer to Trump than to Europe. I mean, part of the whole issue is that Moscow had Europe under their thumb because of the threat of you know, cutting off oil, and they're dependent on them for oil. But if they're on board, it doesn't seem like the Europeans have much to stand on. Well, yeah, and I think the real issue is, and maybe they just realize it, and what we're trying to get done right now, they're insignificant. I mean, what, wondering how the EU can help us influence this issue is, does Trump really care? When you close the door and talk to Trump, does he give a tinker's damn what France or Germany, uh, you know, or, yep. he doesn't care. And, and if he's trying to solve the Iranian issue and the Teletubbies want to bounce around, then he doesn't care. He, he just, he'll just work around them and, and Moscow's got the same opinion. If you, if you think we laugh at the EU, you know, <laughs> Moscow sees those guys like cattle that can come back and eat someday. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, okay, so let's move on to Iraq. Um, you know, again, I believe it was one of the most asinine things we've done that we literally expended our soul, our blood, changed the lives of thousands of military personnel to literally hand over. Iraq to Iran. And then, yeah, and by the way, just so you know, politically, this is what's hurting us a little bit with John Bolton. And I respect John and I agree with him on, on a lot of things. But some of these guys that have never disavowed the Iraq war, then they're like, oh, we need to get tough on Iran. And then, you know, there are elements even on our side 
kind of the Tucker Carlson types that care about American sovereignty, care about our border. They don't want to get sucked into the Middle East. And they're like, dude, you're doing this to us again. So what's the state of play in Iraq on how now that we've given Iraq to Iran, they're using that as a staging ground for some of these attacks? Yeah, and, and I don't want you to break your microphone when I tell you this. And I, I, you know, I, I texted you a while ago and warned you, you're not going to like what I say here, but here's the cold, hard fact. Um, you know, we, we screwed Iraq up from day one. I, I sat on the what was called the 1003 Victor, the, 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 the planning process when we did the Iraqi invasion. I, I, trust me, I, I know this thing like the back of my hand. We have screwed this thing up from day one. We turned this into a ground-centric and then a corporation-centric operation. The fact of the matter is today, as you and I stand and talking here today, we have Iranian-controlled Shia militias that are active members of the Iraqi forces wearing their uniforms as we send them money and equipment. Oh, they don't work for anybody inside the Iraqi government. The Iraqi government works for them. So... When I tell you and your head wants to explode that we're spending U.S. taxpayer dollars <sighs> in Iraq on Iran's militias, it's a true statement. We, 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 we are sharing a- bases with Hezbollah flags or, or the um, Iraqi Hezbollah, you have Lebanese Hezbollah. But I've seen pictures and them with our M1 tanks. I don't know if that's still the case, but this was several years ago when the air campaign against ISIS and ground campaign was was uh, you know much more robust. I, I'm here to tell you that it it, it, it makes your head want to spin. But Iraq has been a profit driven mess for what seventeen or sixteen years, and we now have Saudi Arabia facing a two front war. We have attack drones and, and cruise missiles coming out of southern Iraq against Saudi and out of Yemen. So Saudi's getting hit from both directions. Now, how much longer do you keep the future king, who's an interesting character in check? I don't know. You now have the Israelis so worried about some of those operations in Iraq. But there was a rumor this morning, and I haven't confirmed it, but the Israelis struck IRGC positions in Iraq for the Whoa. first time in over 35 years. How did they get to Iraq? I mean, I'm assuming that obviously means we green-lighted it. Well, yeah, we were... Was, some air ops are, are white. You know, they're out in the open. And some air operations, many of them, are black. They're not yeah. in the open. And so, if that's true, if they went in and hit these Fatah 110 ballistic missiles in these camps that the IRGC has been building in southern Iraq, again, here we go back to that thing that Trump was, was talking about, this, this CENTCOM commander theory of we're going to get other people to do things. Well, we may help them and undeclare that we're doing it, but we're going to continue to apply pressure on Iraq without somebody jumping up and pointing a finger at Trump saying, you've got us another endless war. It's, so it's interesting. I see a much better player at this game now than we had what appeared to be a month and a half ago. I think when Trump wow. had to pull the plug, he got frustrated. He looked at the CENTCOM commanders. He looked at his combatant commanders, who he trusts. 
He's always liked his you know, combatant command generals. And he probably said, figure it out. You guys figure it out. You know, you told me go, and then, I, then you asked me to no go. Figure it out. Because he needed to jump into campaign mode, which he's in now. <laughs> so we're seeing we've, we're seeing a smarter game being played, but Iraq is a dismal strategic failure. Oh my period. gosh! No, no, that's that's really true. Um, final thing, let's bring it back to our hemisphere. IRGC, Quds Force, Hezbollah, Latin America. What do you see as the threat there with the cartels bringing this all back to our border? Well, Hezbollah's been playing in Central and South America for probably at least three decades, uh, you know, probably since shortly after their, their uh, stand-up. Uh, now, here's the issue. It, it's not so much that they create a counterforce down there. It's, it's, a, it's a cash cow to them. They got into the drug business, yep. much like the IRA did. You know, uh, the, to get their the weapons. Irish, the Irish yeah. got into the drug base. So they get down there. They get into a cash cow business with the cartels and there's an exchange of, you know, intelligence, there's an exchange of tactics. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Argentina goes and declares them a terrorist organization, which allows them to do some things to some members down there. So you're, again, you're shutting off supply lines to IRGC. If you don't pay the rank and file, then they go join the next group. You know, it, it, it's just that simple. When you're talking about 19, 23-year-old men over there who are making $100 a month, if you don't pay them, then they're going to go somewhere else. They're not going to go to work. Work's too much work. It's fun to run around with a gun in your hand and take your picture all the time. So that was a great move. It was a brilliant move. Now, is there a relationship between the cartels and Hezbollah? Absolutely. And we've known that for 20 years. So why in the world... Have we not labeled the cartels as a terrorist operation? So, if so they support the, I, I, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. The, the problem with that, and, and I'm not disagreeing, and we're going to shame the president into doing it every day. I'm just telling you, it's interesting based on your presentation. I think we have the answer because whereas what's going on in the Persian Gulf is fundamentally the theater of CENTCOM. And so the Teletubbies could be marginalized. The problem is the designation of terrorism is a State Department function, and that's Teletubby land. I mean, that, that's the biggest problem we've had so far. Um, and, oh, yeah. They might as well paint the building blue. <laughs> with the – no, the purple one with the – you know what I mean? <laughs> well, anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, by, by the way, it's a great analogy because they're gender neutral. <laughs> Jeez. No, I mean that's that's what it is. So I I don't know who has that desk at the White House to, you know, be the conduit for the president um over the State Department. Obviously, your National Security Council, I mean, Bolton, I I I don't I have not heard and I cannot tell this audience where he is. You would think and hope he is for designating the cartels. Um, again, I don't agree with Bolton on everything, but generally he has sounded pretty good on um, on immigration on on the border. I don't know, but that's something we're gonna we're not gonna let up on that issue. Um, any any parting thoughts, Colonel, before we we uh, run here? Here's how we wrap this all back around, Dan. Because at the end of the day, if you can't defend yourself at home, 
you stand no chance of defending yourself or others abroad. So all this screaming and hollering this week about this, these four congresswomen and, you know, Trump being blamed for being a racist and blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you a real, really quick story. Before the, before the Arab Spring came along, uh, I was working with a team of folks, and one of the IC members came with an unclassified version of the document that was, we read it, and it was brilliant. And I think I have a friend that still has the unclassified version. If I can find it, I'll get it to you. But it was all about how the Muslim Brotherhood playbooks how to take over a government. And it, it has everything to do with how you move into an area. You, you, you move your people. So there were areas in Cairo and, and, and Alexandria where the Brotherhood following wasn't that strong. So they started demographically moving their people into those areas and then winning elections in those areas yep. to the point that by time came, they were a percentage of the representation in Cairo. Then they pulled the trigger on their college kids and started the revolt. And at the end of the day, the Muslim Brotherhood was running Egypt. Now, Sissy came back in and wiped that out because he knew that was going on. That, that process for slow, non-aggressive, non-kinetic energy assimilation is a known process for the Brotherhood. Now, that process, if you look at a couple of these people that Trump's in conflict with right now, they're part of that process. This, this deal of coming over from Somalia because you just wanted a better life and, and now you're here <laughs> and you don't say a thing about your district. All you do is get up there every day and talk about stuff at the international and national level. That's a design. Well, because her you know, district uh, is Somalia. I mean, that's that's the thing. You don't realize how much you tied this in because you're not going to hear it until it's live. But the beginning of the show, we discussed Somalia and we discussed um. You know, uh, Ian Hersey, um, the conservative activist who grew up in Somalia, she has a terrific op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. I'll send to you if you haven't seen it on how she grew up with pervasive anti-Semitism. And look how you bring if you bring in large quantities from there, I could tell you firsthand, this is what you're going to bring in and um, very poignant. And that's the story. We can't fundamentally transform our, our country, turn us into Europe, where Jews, literally Holocaust survivors in France, we talked about at the beginning of the show, can no longer live there. They, they get killed by their Muslim neighbors now. Um, that is not to- tolerance. That is Teletubby land. We are out of time. Colonel Dan, thanks so much for coming on. We're going to have you on in the coming weeks for another update, maybe even next week, about the Mexican side of the equation. Whether it's Mexico, whether it's CINCOM, Colonel Dan is the man. We're going to link to his blog, which you want to see. He has his own podcast. If you you know, if you know, can't get enough of him, well, you don't have to wait to our, for our show. He has it there. There's a lot more going on. Speaking of population transfer, today, 3,000, 3,000 federal, federal, Federal criminals are being released from prison. This is the first tranche of this first step jailbreak act that we spent all year fighting. Unfortunately, losing that battle. I'll have more on that next week. I didn't get to everything I wanted, but I wanted to give Colonel Dan the, the remaining time. Look, folks, things are looking up. They're hearing our voices. Mainly things are still negative, but we got to hold on to some sense of hope. Um, I'm sure next week I'll turn back the other way. Thanks, Dan, for your optimism. Till next week, same time, same place. Monday morning, we'll be here. God bless y'all. Have a terrific weekend.